all post-resurrection stories, the account of what took place on the road to Emmaus. Now, you may have seen the uh, classic picture of two men and Jesus, you know, walking down that uh, tree-lined road. And while that is a beautiful picture, it pales in comparison to the picture that Luke paints for us. Now, Mark mentions this event just in passing, but Luke really goes into surprising detail. And that's actually led some to suggest that he might be one of the men on the road with Jesus. But as we'll later see, that's not likely. He does, however, probably get his account from one of the two. The details and the emotions expressed certainly make it feel like a first-hand account. There's a lot in this account. In fact, there's so much that we're not going to uh, deal with it all in one setting. We can't do it justice. So we're going to divide it into two messages. This week we're going to look at the risen Lord concealed, and next week we'll see the risen Lord revealed. The account is found in Luke 24 and begins with a picture of the risen Lord concealed by something we might call spiritual blindness. Luke 24, verses 13 through 16. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Now, the first question this account raises is quite simply, who are these two? You know, Luke merely identifies them as two of them, two of whom? The them in verse 11 refers to the apostles, and that's our nearest antecedent, so that's our first thought. But when we get to verse 18, we'll find that one of them is named, and he's not an apostle. If we go back a bit further in the account, we find that uh, the women returned from the tomb and reported all they had seen and heard to the eleven and to all the rest. So these two were probably part of all the rest. They were followers of Jesus. They weren't apostles, but they were disciples of Jesus. And they had heard the women's report. But like the apostles, they didn't believe them. Apparently, they too believed it to be nonsense. It just did not make sense. It's now late Sunday afternoon, and they're most likely heading home to Emmaus, a village about seven miles from Jerusalem. As they're walking, they're conversing, they're talking, discussing the events of the past three days, no doubt trying to make sense of everything that had happened. And as they're walking along, talking, Jesus joins them on the road. The resurrected Lord starts walking with them. Now, whether he overtook them 
or met them at a fork in the road, we aren't told. All we're told is that Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. Now, we've already established that these two were disciples of Jesus. They knew him. They had no doubt traveled with him before. But now they don't recognize him. At first, that seems very strange to us. But then we remember that Mary Magdalene, who we know knew Jesus very well, didn't recognize him when he appeared to her either. After Peter and John left her at the empty tomb weeping, angels spoke to her. They asked her why she was weeping, and she told them it was because someone had taken the body of Jesus and she didn't know where he was. Then when she turned around and looked outside the tomb, she saw Jesus standing there. But she thought he was the gardener. It wasn't until he spoke her name that she recognized him and embraced him. Why didn't she recognize him at first? Well, maybe it's because her eyes were filled with tears. And our text does note that the eyes of the two men on the road to Emmaus were prevented from recognizing him. Maybe their eyes were filled with tears, too. On second thought, that can't be the case. You know, we all know that real men don't cry. I was going to get a response from Scott, but where is he? Probably crying in the back somewhere, huh? Well, be that as it may, I do doubt that those men failed to recognize Jesus because their eyes were filled with tears. Maybe the sun was in their eyes. And maybe they were walking into the sunset. Maybe they were just so caught up in their discussion that they gave no thought to the identity of the one who had joined them. Maybe Christ's resurrected body looked different. And Mark does say he appeared to them in a different form. Or maybe their eyes were prevented, or as it literally says, their eyes were being prevented, indicates divine activity. Maybe God or Jesus himself was intentionally keeping them from recognizing who he was. Maybe, maybe Jesus knew they would get too emotional and start clinging to him, as did Mary, if they recognized him before he had the opportunity to help them understand what had happened and why. But then again, men never get emotional. Whatever the reason, we learn something very important here. We learn that it's possible to be blinded to the presence of Jesus even when he is in our midst. We might even be talking about Jesus, discussing him. We might be in Bible study and not see him. And while not in the same form in which he joined the men on the road to Emmaus, whatever form that might have been, he does join with us today. Now, I'm not suggesting that he mysteriously comes into our midst in worship. That if our worship is what it ought to be, he will come into our presence or we will come into his. 
Now, the context in which he said, for where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst, is decision-making, not worship. He was promising to be with us when we prayerfully make hard decisions together. That's not to suggest, however, that he's not here with us when we worship. He is certainly with us when we meet together because he indwells each of us through his spirit. Those who have prepared their heart for his habitation by being cleansed of their sin and have welcomed him into their life have Jesus within them. So when we gather to worship, he is present. He's there because we bring him with us. Into worship. And I think that means we ought to be able to see Jesus in each other. If he's here and he's living in each of us. We ought to be able to see him in our brothers and sisters as they worship. His presence in our life, however, is not limited to times of worship. His presence should be visible and recognizable in everything we do. We don't leave him here when we leave. He's with us wherever we are. In fact, I think we should see him in the world at large because he created it and he sustained it. We should obviously see him in his word because he embodies it. The resurrected Christ dwells in our midst. But we often fail to see him. Why? Why are we so blind to his presence? Could it simply be that we're not looking for him? We're not thinking about him when we see each other. When we see things in the world. When we're reading his word. We just don't expect to see him. You know, the men on the road to Emmaus didn't expect Jesus to join them. They were talking about him, but they surely didn't expect the risen Lord to begin walking with them. You know, may we never get so caught up conversing with each other about Jesus that we fail to see him in our midst. We have a risen Lord who dwells within us, and therefore among us, we must be able to see Him. We've got to expect to see Him. Our lack of expectation can lead to spiritual blindness. But the risen Lord can also be concealed By disillusionment. Verses 17 to the first part of 21. And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking. What are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? 
And he said to them, what things? And he said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. When Jesus joined them and asked them what they were talking about, they stopped walking. They stood still and it became obvious they were sad about something. Cleopas, the only one named, spoke up. Speaking for both of them, he asked, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? They couldn't believe Jesus didn't know what they'd been talking about. Everyone in Jerusalem was talking about the same thing. When Jesus asked what things, their answer not only revealed what they'd been talking about, it revealed why they were so sad. They told him they'd been talking about Jesus, the Nazarene, a prophet who had done and said some mighty things. They also told how the chief priests and the rulers had delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. Now, referring to the rulers as our rulers, by the way, is what gives evidence to the fact that Luke was not one of the two. He was a Gentile. So the Jewish rulers wouldn't have been his rulers. Anyway, Cleopas continued. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. They were hoping it was he who was going to redeem Israel. They thought of Jesus as a mighty prophet and had hoped he would prove to be the Messiah. And, of course, they expected the Messiah to free the Jewish nation from Roman domination. They certainly did not expect the Messiah to be crucified. Their hope was gone. Jesus had failed to meet their expectations. They were disillusioned. And their disillusionment may have kept them from seeing Jesus in their midst. And the same thing can happen to us today. We all have expectations of what Jesus should and should not do. And it's easy for us to think he's not here when our expectations aren't met. You know, we don't get what we pray for. Hard times come. A loved one dies unexpectedly and, from our perspective, prematurely. We lose our job, or our home, whatever. Something happens that we don't think should happen. Not if Jesus were here. So we decide he's not here. And we don't see him. And it is easy. It is easy to get disillusioned with our Savior. To get disillusioned with God's people. To get disillusioned with God himself. When our expectations 
are wrong, when they're built upon the way we think things ought to be, or upon our desires instead of the way things really are and what God has actually promised, we inevitably find ourselves disillusioned. And when we are disillusioned, it's very hard to see Jesus in our life or in our midst. The risen Lord can also be concealed by simple unbelief. They continued. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also, some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. Cleopas continues. Jesus was crucified three days ago. But this morning some women came with quite an amazing story. They had gone looking for Jesus' body, and when they couldn't find it, they had a vision of angels. And the angels, in their vision, told them he was alive. You can almost hear the unbelief in his voice. The women had a vision. Now, they didn't have a vision of angels. They actually saw angels. They saw two men in dazzling apparel, and they were terrified. But Cleopas, like the apostles, apparently dismissed the report as nonsense. He went on to say that some of them had actually gone to the tomb, and just as the women had said, Jesus was gone. No one saw him. They didn't see his body. And they certainly didn't see him alive. Now, truth be known, by then, the risen Lord had been seen. He had been seen by Mary Magdalene, the rest of the women, and Peter. But the men on the road to Emmaus didn't know that. And even if they had been told that Jesus had appeared to some, they probably would not have believed it. In fact, when some of the disciples heard from Mary herself, that she had seen Jesus alive, they refused to believe her. Some things are really hard to believe. And believing that someone who has been dead three days is now alive is one of them. In reality, however, it should have been easy for them to believe it, Lazarus had been dead four days when Jesus raised him from the dead. Still, they refused to believe that Jesus was alive. In spite of the eyewitness accounts and their own past experiences with Jesus, they found it just too hard to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. 
Even when the resurrected Christ was walking with them and talking to them, they didn't believe he was alive. Indeed, simple unbelief can blind us to the presence of Christ in the world, in the church, in the lives of our brothers and sisters, and even in our own life. And we all struggle with unbelief. What you may not realize, however, is that the unbelief we all struggle with at some point or another in our life actually doesn't come from us. It comes from a spiritual enemy who is actively seeking to blind us and to keep us Spiritually blind. The Apostle Paul made that clear when he told us the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Before we became believers, Satan had blinded us to spiritual realities. And he did everything he could to keep us in spiritual darkness. By God's grace, however, the light of the gospel broke through our blindness. We came to understand who Jesus is and why he had to die and rise again. Through eyes of faith, we could then see him at work in our life. In the church, and even in a fallen world. But the devil never gives up. In fact, I'm convinced he works harder to put out the light than he did to blind us in the first place. How many of us have come into the light and we, we found life in the presence of Christ? We sensed him in our life. We sensed him in the church. We sensed him in everyone that gathered here. We could see him everywhere we went. And then the light started flickering. We didn't see him so clearly. For some, the light went out. How does that happen? We have an enemy, a spiritual enemy who does not give up. He doesn't say, oh, well, they've seen the light. I'll go to someone else now. He gets more excited when he can blind someone who has seen than someone who has never seen. Never underestimate him. In fact, it's quite possible that he is the one who prevented the eyes of Jesus' own disciples from recognizing him on the road to Emmaus. I didn't mention him earlier. Maybe he's the one who caused their blindness. And no doubt he had a hand in their false expectations, their disillusionment, 
their unbelief. And he can do the same thing to us. He can blind us to the presence of Christ in our life if we let down our guard and fail to keep on our spiritual armor. The battle's not over when you accept Christ. It's really just beginning. We have an enemy. But may he never conceal the risen Lord from us by raising unrealistic expectations, fostering disillusionment, and feeding unbelief. May our eyes be opened to the presence of the risen Christ in our midst, and may our eyes be kept 